Good morning, I'm Bob Nelson, and I'm on the leadership team here, and I've been given the privilege to try to open God's Word in a way that we can be blessed uh, by it today and, and understand how our lives can be better and more pleasing to God because we are here today. Um, as you notice on the top of the back of your uh, little uh, service sheet, the, the uh, uh, title for my sermon is Cover Me, Interactions of Three Normal Godly People. We'll talk about that in a bit. But as you listen to the, this chapter 3 in Ruth, uh, it's a great story, isn't it? Kind of exciting story that uh, we have taking place there. And we wonder what's going to happen when when Ruth goes down. Uh, but one of the things we just we can I- easily identify with these characters in chapter three in the whole book. Actually, uh, they talk and they walk and they plan and uh, they work hard. They listen to each other. They rejoice when things are happening and. They're just normal people like us, and especially those of us who are also from a farm community, small town, uh, we really get it. Um, you maybe were wondering like things like, how in the world did Naomi know that uh, Boaz is going to be at the threshing floor? Uh, those of us from small town community areas, no issue. You know, I can immediately think I'm going and in, uh, by Marquette, Nebraska, where, where uh, Jean's family's from, and asking her brother, hey, Bennett, um, uh, I'd like to see uh, Fred Swanson, or whatever, you know, and he'd say, oh, well, you know, uh, Fred normally, um, he and his buddies usually go to the cafe at 10 o'clock, but, but now during harvest season, I saw him over, and they were combining the field just... Uh, West of Down Hour's place, um, and his son told me, his son, you know, drives the semi for him, that probably tomorrow, if you wait till tomorrow, they're going to be a little closer to town. Uh, they'll be doing their field south, two miles south of town, blah, blah, blah. Or uh, <clears throat> you think, how did, how, uh, uh, you, you think when Nomi talks about her plan, the book of Ruth really does not, uh, and typical of Bible or other things, it doesn't elaborate all the stuff that probably took place ahead of time. You know, I mean, <clears throat> some, some people say, well, you know, when, uh, when Ruth says, cover me with your uh, wings or the, the, tap, the end of your garment, Ruth t- uh, Naomi didn't tell her to do that. I'm going... You mean you don't think that they discussed the whole thing ahead of time? And again, I think about the family. uh, We had somebody among our relatives who was having a drinking problem. And so an event was needed, an intercession needed to take place. And so the immediate family were discussing, you know, how serious is the need? When could we do it? And who should be there? And all that stuff was discussed in a way that was bigger than you'd want to record in, in, a, in a book of Ruth. So I'm making some assumptions here that, that more is discussed than taking place. We'll get to that a little bit more. And also, you think about 
the uh, even this redemption, I think maybe uh, um, uh, probably uh, it will be covered a little bit more in the next chapter. But we do need to talk about this concept of, of redemption in in Bethlehem, which, by the way, is a far cry from what it would have been in Ruth's time. Uh, I was there a couple months ago or month ago anyway. It's all part of Metro Jerusalem now. We when we went from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. We never left city, uh, but it was Italy, you know. And when it talks about she going down to the threshing floor, I, yeah, it's, I could see the hillside even before all the city was going around here. Um, but regarding the inheritance laws, uh, the current Israeli inheritance laws are based on something that was created in 1965. Uh, and even that, you know, they said that probably the main laws of inheritance recently didn't happen until the late 1800s. Still part of the, you know, Palestine was still part of the Ottoman Empire at that point. And uh, uh, it said that before that, in the early, the first hundreds of years of the Ottoman Empire, those inheritance laws would have been local customs and traditions in the various towns and places within the empire. So when I see that, it's kind of important because the inheritance laws that are talked about in this chapter are way different than anything we've experienced. And as we see, uh, it, your, your, uh, uh, like the, the, in the Old Testament there was Leveret, and I think they called it law, where the, if uh, a man died and his, his wife had not born sons for him or children, then his brother was supposed to uh, uh, take that woman in marriage and raise up children for the brother, his part of the land and stuff. Well, we don't have that. When my brother died when he was 30 and I was about 27 or 8, uh, <clears throat> none of us had any thought that I should marry his widow. <laughs> She didn't think it, I didn't think it, Jean didn't think it, <laughs> that I should raise up children for my brother's estate. It's far cry from anything that we really identify with. But it was part of their culture. It was part of what they understood in their small town, that this is what's expected, and that's also going to be part of what we see here. But <clears throat> let me uh, explain my my title a little bit. First of all, cover me. It talks about when, when uh, she says, spread your wings, or, or other translations say, spread your garments over me, or the edge of your garment. Uh, it's, it's a term that was understood in, in several ways, but definitely it includes uh, the illustration that uh, Pastor Mitch used last uh, time where Jesus looked at Jerusalem and says, oh, I wish I could have gathered you under my wings like a hen protecting those little chicks. And uh, again, the farmer in me remembers seeing that little chick peeking out, you know, from underneath and how soft it is under 
uh, with, the, with the body of the hen, but on the outside of the feathers, the outside of the wings, pretty tough and hard. Um, so that sense of protection and covering, which, you know, that's kind of easiest for us to see, but we don't identify it with inheritance laws the way they did uh, in this chapter. But it's the central point of this whole book of uh, that, that, that Ruth and Naomi needed covering. They, were, they had come back with nothing. Uh, she said they were poor and they needed this covering. So first of all, we see in chapter 3, they plan for it. How can we make a request? And then Ruth actually uh, goes and asks for it and then Boaz responds and the end of the chapter we see that they are uh, waiting for seeing what, what the results will be. And I think that as we read this, we are not in this uh, situation where we can apply it to our own inheritance laws in Illinois, but we can also apply it spiritually. And you might think about that in, in different ways. So, uh, what kind of covering do I need spiritually or my friends and family that don't know Christ and have not asked him to cover us? Um, and secondly, why do I refer to these people as normal godly people? Uh, I'm doing that because uh, I'm, I'm going to use this chapter just as an opportunity to remind us of a couple things. One is, like I said, these are normal people. And it's easy for us to make people heroes. Not like us people. Uh, whether it's sports heroes or music musicians that are just so great, you know, I can never play like that. Uh, but it also can happen in Christianity, where we kind of set up people as higher than they really are. And that's wonderful. We're honoring their skill or their ability or their position. But it's also negative in that it, it, it's, it causes a separation. Uh, and we maybe can use that separation as an excuse that, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not so good. Uh, Jean and I went to a conference uh, for people that were interested in becoming missionaries. We were in college. This must have been about 1971 or so. And we came to Illinois, to Urbana, Urbana-Champaign. And I can remember a couple of things. One is, is uh, related, I'm going to share this just as a funny thing first. We were sitting in this big audience, uh, speakers were up there, and uh, one of the guys from, um, uh, there's a guy sitting behind me in a little bit, he's out of my eyesight. And this, this, the speaker is going along and there's this big belch. And, uh, I didn't really pay too much attention. It was loud enough that I could hear it. But then I recognized the voice of, of one of my friends from Nebraska. said, the devil made me do it. <laughs> some of us that hadn't really paid attention were all smiling, you know, and kind of giggling. And, and the reason I bring that up is, what does the devil make us do? How do we know what's morally right and wrong? How do we know what's godly? And some of that is uh, 
um, cultural they related. Uh, I don't know that the devil made him do it, but he obviously felt a little bit of shame or embarrassment. And so godliness is related to what we feel as right and wrong. And so uh, we're not going to get into that, uh, but I just want to bring it out that uh, be sensitive to your consciences. Don't assign stuff to the devil that maybe you should have uh, uh, not worried about because it wasn't a sin at all in the first place. Um, on the other hand, if you do have some responsibility that God is touching your conscience with, um, follow, follow your conscience, all right? But really, the thing that touched me here is, is about, uh, some of you may have heard of a woman, uh, Elizabeth Elliot. I think she was not yet Elizabeth Leach at that point. I think she was still Elizabeth Elliot. And she was a, um, a missionary who had been uh, working with the Yahweh Indians in South America. But she was our, our one of our speakers. And I remember that she started her her introductory with uh, something like this. Missionaries, according to many people, don't walk. They tread the burning sands. They tread the burning sands. And what she meant was, in the literature that you read about missionaries, they're not normal people. They're not seen as normal people. They're the ones that are in this romantic, you know, novel type of uh, story that they're living. And she tried to, in her, 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 her speech then, to remind us that you guys who are thinking about me being missionaries, remember that you are normal. Uh, it's going to affect how you minister, how you think of yourself, and you have to be aware that people are going to want to see you as heroes, and you have to buck that, and all those types of things. Uh, we see these people, and I wanted us to see them not as some kind of heroes in the Bible, which in one sense they are, but as normal people like us, so that we can copy them in their, their normalness and their godliness. Um, I talk about the godly aspect because if I asked you to raise your hands this morning, how many of you are godly? Yeah, you probably can. What in the world is he wanting me to do? And the same thing would be, how many of you are disciples of Christ? You know, and and part of the, our part of our response to that is good humility, right? Because. We don't want to say, oh, God, like, there's a, there's a bad CB part of that that we want to avoid. On the other hand, you're planning, well, if I say this, then he's going to say something in his sermon to knock me down or tell me I'm wrong or something else. You know, that's happened enough to us that we're once burnt, twice shy type of thing. But... <clears throat> but I want us to be able to see these examples as somebody that maybe God could touch our lives with in, in what we are facing. So, um, by the way, I, I just a reminder too, our society and sometimes even in our religion, godliness is not promoted as a good thing a delightful thing, a wonderful thing. But from all the way in the whole Bible, from Old Testament and New Testament, 
over and over and over. I was going to look at maybe picking out some samples of God's liking us to be godly. I was overwhelmed. I just I didn't know hardly where to start. Um, it, it's full of God. God delights in the godly. He loves the godly. He, he repays the godly. All kinds of different words uh, that are used re- regarding the godly. Let me just read Titus 11 to 14. Titus 11 to 14 as an example where where godliness is related to redemption. For the grace of God has appeared. Grace, right? Our salvation, which includes redemption from our sins for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in heaven, no, in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unholiness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Uh, a good combination there. God intends for us to be righteous and good and holy. And so let's keep encouraging each other to do those things. Romans 1, uh, 5 and 6, I won't read it, but Paul is talking about his own calling. And part of his calling is that there would be Gentiles who would have the obedience of faith, that combination. It's not just faith alone, but it's including the obedience that results from our faith. Uh, May this chapter really help us in being normal, godly people. That God, not the surface godliness only, but a sermon of the mount godliness that where Jesus says, uh, blessed are there those who hunger, thirst for righteousness. They're going to be filled. Um, and not the see-me kind of godliness, uh, but rather the our Father delights in this kind of godliness. So let's first uh, take a look at these three people. We'll start with Naomi. And her normal godliness results in a loving plan to help Ruth. She's a woman that we can copy. Um, First of all, notice that in in verse 1, she says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? So her motive is that it may be well with Ruth. Here's an assumption, I think, based on, on verse, verse 10, that, uh, where, where Boaz says, You didn't seek younger men. Uh, Ruth knows you are committed to me. I've seen that. You said that you'll follow me until I die. But 
How about after I die? How will it go well with you? You could still marry, but you're sticking with me. Uh, we need to seek a way that it will be well with you. And there's an unselfishness in her motive here that we can copy. And then her desire is, she calls it, should I not seek rest for you? And in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, um, Naomi is talking to her daughter-in-law's and she says, the Lord grant that you may find rest. What does she mean? Each of you in the house of her husband. So when she's talking about seeking rest, the implication is that she really wants Ruth to be able to be married and have the rest of, of part, being part of a family, being part of a household. And so as she uh, seeks rest for her, then they make the plan of we need to go to Boaz and she said it's our kinsman this is not mine but you are the daughter-in-law um, it's your husband who would have inherited from my husband and so the role here it, the word that is taught about he's our kin it is, it is basically a relative but it's also a uh, a close relative or a next of kin in, in our modern legal terminology. If somebody gets sick uh, or dies, who do they notify? They need to notify next of kin, the closest relative. And so it, it's used in that way like we understand. But again, in their culture, in how they were understanding it, it also can mean the role of the next of kin. Uh, it's, it's used as somebody who is uh, uh, an avenger of blood. And we don't do that here. I, had, I knew somebody in the Philippines when we were down south there who, who, was, uh, who, who, who left his city in western Mindanao to come over to Zawa City where we lived. And he told me the reason that he left to escape there was because uh, some of the people killed his dad. And so he knew that they would expect him as next of kin to avenge his dad and seek them and kill them. And so they would kill him before they killed before he killed them. So there was a stronger sense of the avenger of blood uh, that was there than what I experienced here in the US. Uh, sometimes also the word is or the role included uh, paying a ransom. And here again, um, so who should pay the ransom? It should be the closest of kin. Once again, when we were in, in the Philippines, uh, when people were kidnapped, a ransom was expected to be paid. And usually the closest of kin would be expected to come up with the money or the payment. As missionaries, we had a, a policy, no ransom uh, will be paid. And it was kind of hard on our kids. And he talked to our daughter. She goes, boy, wow, you know, I get kidnapped. They're not going to pay the ransom. <laughs> but uh, our reason, of course, is logic. That if you start paying ransom, and the rich Americans pay good ransom, all of us are going to get, get kidnapped, you know. So uh, we just had a standard policy. They will not pay the ransoms. 
Uh, doesn't mean that we won't try to negotiate. Uh, sometimes uh, kidnappers just wanted notoriety, and you could say we will publish it in the paper, or we could do some give your cause uh, public notice, and they would that would satisfy them hopefully. But it uh, uh, ransom is something that the next of kin were expected to pay. So in this case, it doesn't mean those things it talks about next of kin in regarding to a redemption of property. And so that's significant for us in chapter 3. Um, it wouldn't have been a new topic, it wouldn't have been a normal topic for these people that Naomi has this land, uh, or her husband did, whether it had been sold or something, it needs to be gone through and dealt with by the kinsman redeemer and bought back. And it involved both the women. So the implications is that they both would have known what was going on here. Um, so go to Boaz and seek it. Use the window of opportunity at the threshing floor. Um, there's going to be some privacy there at night, probably. And so go to Boaz, get cleaned up. Don't use your poor woman gleaning clothes, your work clothes, you know, that you've seen him before. This is something that would involve you as, as uh, a bride in, in the contract type of thing. So get cleaned up, but go, covert, go covertly. I'm not exactly sure why they would have known. I could guess some things, but I'm not going to. Uh, and then she needs, and she says, uncover his feet and lie down. And I'm going to assume that there was also the conversation about likely happening. That he'll wake up and his feet are cold and that uh, you need to ask him to cover you with his wings or with his uh, edge of his garment. And then she says, he will tell you what to do. They all knew each other. They knew, they understand. They knew that Boaz would understand what they were talking about. And so, uh, we'll summarize at the end, but Ruth's uh, godliness here is seen in her, her uh, willingness to make this plan and go through with it uh, in order that Ruth, or Noli is doing that so that Ruth will have rest in a family. We look at Boaz. How about his normal godliness? It, re it results in a, a kind support of his next of kin. We've already seen some of the evidences of Boaz's godliness. Uh, we saw him last week that he checked the, the work in progress as a, as a, as a, a good landowner would do. Uh, I, I was reminded of one of my favorite things in, in uh, Proverbs 27, 23. Let's see if I see, see that. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? There is that godly principle of taking care of the assets that God has given us. Normal people, normal lives that we can do. 
he uh, gave instructions to Ruth, or to his uh, foreman, so that Ruth's job of gleaning would be more effective and easier for her. He was already acting as a kinsman at that point. He knew that she was uh, uh, daughter-in-law of Elimelech. And then seven to nine. Let's look at verse chapter three, verses seven to nine. When he had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, "Who are you?" And she answered, "I'm Ruth, your servant." Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Um, yeah, uh, farmers nowadays don't uh, go lay down to sleep by their grain bins, uh, as far as I know. But uh, he's in a situation where the grain is in, the processing of it in winnowing is taking place, you know, life is good. I suppose the closest to that would be uh, for the farmers around here. For some of them, at least, not all of them. The corn is in the bin. Um, uh, the the dryer is blowing the hot air into it to dry it out till it's the right um, uh, dryness, so I can sell it. Uh, life is good, and so there's that sense of relaxing and harvest and rejoicing in the harvest that God gives us. But he wakes up with cold feet. He finds Ruth there. Who are you? And uh, he wakes up faster than I do, I'm sure, because in hearing this one sentence from Ruth, you know, spread your your uh, wings over me, spread your cloak over me, for you are a redeemer. He knows immediately what's happening. He knew immediately that she was there to request a redemption. And he knew that he wasn't the closest of kin. And he knew that this was a sacrifice on Ruth's part. All of that he understood quickly because he says, uh, you are, um, your, your, your last kindness is greater than the first. He acted as a godly second in line kinsman here. He, he comforts her. He says, don't fear. He has an advocacy role that he is taking, he, taking on. He says, you will get redemption. If the other guy does it, good. But if not, he, he swears by God that I will do it. You're going to get the redemption that you are seeking one way or another. And he also then goes into a role of protection. He says, lodge here tonight. Spend the rest of the night here. It's safe here. And, uh, and he, he also has provision as a, a kinsman. He says, take these six of barley. Oh, I forgot to bring a ganta. Well, I don't, it, it doesn't say, it's a, some translations say six units of barley. We don't know exactly what it is, but like in the Philippines when they sold rice in the old days, they used a term called a ganta. And I have a ganta at our house. And it's a, a box about this cube. 
And there was even a little, uh, the one that we have has a little, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, lead seal on it to show that this is an official Ganta, that people in the market, or in his case, if he was selling grain right there from the threshing floor, if somebody buys five Ganta, you know, you can pick it up, cover it all, dump it in their sack. I wish I would have bought it. But, so I'm assuming it might have been similar to that. I think of six of those. He says, you know, take your cloak. <laughs> That'd be pretty heavy. He, he lifts it up and, and puts it on her so that she can take it home. He's already providing generously for his mother-in-law. Let's move on to Ruth. Her normal godliness included putting family over self. Putting family over self. She has a reputation of being a virtuous person. In verse 11, he says, uh, And now, my daughter, don't fear. I will do for you all you ask for all of my fellow townsmen. Know that you are a worthy woman, a virtuous woman. So her godliness is already having a good reputation in the community. We've seen that she followed Naomi home. Uh, she stayed faithful to the family she had married into, even though they were Israeli, Israelis instead of Moabites. She has promised to be loyal to Naomi to the grave. She's seen as a willing, uh, she, a person who is willing to work hard, even as a, a poor person leaning, rather than as a servant to somebody. Um, she saved some of her lunch to bring home to Naomi. She was thinking beyond herself. She carried heavy load of grain. It says it down to the threshing floor, which when I'm thinking of Bethlehem, the altar down there, that means that what goes down has to come up if you're going to come home. Uh, she was a good hard worker. And she was obedient to Naomi's plan, even though it might have been scary. And that it required humility when we ask people for help. Boaz noticed her godliness in the request for redemption when he said in verse 10, <clears throat> May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. His statement leads to an assumption that Ruth knew if the land was redeemed, she was included. She knew that she would marry the Redeemer, who evidently, whether whether Boaz or somebody else, was not the young man that she could have married, he said. She sacrificed for Naomi, Elimelech, her husband, Malon. She put the family's needs, and in this case, especially Naomi's, as the, the remaining matriarch, uh, over her own self-desires. Pastor Mitch will appreciate this. I was thinking about uh, a nice booklet that crew puts out about, uh, or they used to, I assume they still do, about uh, four spiritual laws. And the first one, Ruth would read it, open it up and read, God has a wonderful plan for your mother-in-law's life. <laughs> and it means so sacrifice on your part. 
that book that helps helps trigger in us of how even in our Christianity we are so tending to be self-focused and even cap the self-focus and self-desires of, of other people. Ruth is a great example in her normal godliness that she was willing to set family over herself. So reviewing some of these applications, we can be like Naomi. We can seek the help that we cannot provide ourselves. Um, I think Carol's a good example. And you too, Heather, in that way. Of, we, we see some needs maybe at crossroads. And we can't do it ourselves, but they go and ask uh, um, Jewel or somebody else can you bring food. I, that's a great example. Seeking to help people and find help even when it's stuff that we can't do ourselves. Uh, being aware of options of how that are available to help people and going for it. Spiritually, we can seek God's rest for ourselves. If you haven't already, humble yourself, go to Him, ask for help. Same thing for seeking God's rest for our unsaved friends. Uh, encouraging them to go to God, ask Him to cover them, ask Him for help. It requires humility on their part as, as it does for all of us. Um, in seeking rest, uh, the, uh, we've already had some training about the BLESS uh, acronym. We can use that to encourage ourselves to do the seeking of rest for other people. Uh, reminder of Boaz, love your physical family like he did. Um, think of what their needs are. I was convicted of this kind of thing uh, a while back. My, my wife is really good in having a Sunday evening uh, conference chat uh, on Facebook Messenger with her sisters in, in uh, different states. They've been doing this for years. And I thought, you know, I've got two sisters and I hardly ever contact them, see them. So I did, I said, are you willing now that I know how to do Zoom? So for, I don't know how many, half a year at least now, uh, Sunday nights I have a Zoom half meeting call with my two sisters, one in California, one in Arizona. It's just been a blessing for all three of us. We would, all three of us now would hate to do that. But it, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't felt convicted of this type of thing. Um, where was I? Love your spiritual family in the way that you should. Um, we're going to be having these uh, service weeks in the, the community group or, or families. Let's participate in the small group and, and learn to know each other and how we can help one another. Looking at Ruth then, uh, the challenge and maybe even a rebuke to us, especially to the independent people like me. Uh, get out of yourself and think about family. Don't just, you know, think we, not me. Think family, not self. Um, and it's an encouragement to family-oriented people like Jean and some of you that are already family-focused 
um, keep it up. Keep being that model that the rest of us need as we want to be like that. When I think of godliness, it, it seems that we live in two levels simultaneously. In one sense, I'm so aware of the depth of my ungodliness, day after day. Um, and, and that requires continually trusting my Redeemer that I'm, He's going to get me to heaven. You know? On the other hand, I love when I have some spiritual victories. And when, when I know I have a temptation that nobody else knows about and needs to know, little one or big one, and I'm going, I need help on this. And I do it. And it just, I know that the Father is, is happy and delighted when I do that. And so I want to encourage us all to keep doing that, keep seeking Jesus as the one who is praying for us. I'm reminded of a recent uh, devotional I'm, I had where Jesus tells Peter, um, Satan has sought you, but I have prayed for you. And uh, when you return, encourage the brothers. And Peter didn't understand. Later he realized, and you know, he felt, he, he thought he was going to be so good and so godly and so loyal. And then, sure enough, just like Jesus had predicted, he said, I don't even know who Jesus is. Jesus said, I have, this is before all that happened, Jesus had already said, I have past tense prayed for you. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. That's so encouraging to me. As we also fail, and the ungodliness part of our lives, to know Jesus has been interceding for us. Jesus is our spiritual kinsman redeemer. He's the one who can help us out of the poverty that we have spiritually. He wants us to call on him for help. He wants us to go to him and say, cover me, Jesus. Redemption is from specific land situation in, in here. It might be a specific sin issue that we're facing. Take it to Jesus and say, help me, Jesus. I need your help. He will give us the rest that we need in his family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love that you love when we're able to do good. It makes us want to do good, to bring a smile to your face. Forgive us for the times when we are too self-focused, whether physically family or spiritual family. But instead, we ask the Spirit's help to remind us of how to be godly in the way that you want in real situations with the people we know.